Here we go, rejecting the screen. New Year's week. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast, and so is Adam Stanko. Usually out West. He's on East Coast time, and no matter what time zone you're in, I could not have been any more wrong about the Indiana Pacers. My goodness, 47 and a half. They're going to blow by that, and especially now getting back Victor Oladipo sometime soon. But, and I don't know, Adam, if you've been on the East Coast long enough to hear that every <laughs> single day the Knicks conversation is exactly what we thought it would be. They got what for Christoph Sprzingis? It's the same conversation every single day from day one of the season. So you enjoying your time out here on the East Coast? I am. I am. So little uh, family reunion. My parents have a joint 70th birthday party. They were born a month apart. So my mom's birthday, November 27th. My dad's December 29th. So just came from the birthday party. Uh, first time the entire family was together and I don't know how long. And uh, it was a blast. We, we met at a, a restaurant. So many kids were at least 15, 16 kids. Uh, and the rules basically were you had to be family. So that was all that was invited. So I think there were some offended friends who didn't get an invite to this party, but it was all family. And uh, it was really great to see everybody. It's good to be back. And I've already, just being on the East Coast, I already heard some of this stuff. Like now Dennis Smith Jr., you know, teams are interested in acquiring him. I love that. You know, I wonder who floated that. I wonder which front office floated that many teams are interested in Dennis Smith Jr., one of the players acquired for Chris Stops. All right, so we're going to get into Charles Barkley inside the NBA <laughs> v. Rick Carlisle plus open gym. A few games I'm looking forward to this week. But let's start with All-Stars since voting started over Christmas. And it's kind of interesting when you just look at how to vote. When you put on on the computer, or on the app, it defaults to the leading scores in each conference. And then you can choose how you look at the how you look at everybody. You can go A through Z, you can go front court, back court, points, assists, I think rebounds, mm-hmm. fantasy points. So, fantasy points, so FNP if you don't know what that means. You got to look it up. FNP is fantasy point. So it is interesting to see how the guys are laid out. And when you brought this up to me, you said, you know, let's do all-stars as of now. It started because you were thinking Carmelo is not going to be an all-star, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, it's, you know, someone uh, I trust, someone I believe in, a guy by the name of Will Hooks. I saw it on Facebook. He puts up his all-star selections, you know, took a screenshot. And as you point out, the layout, pretty cool, although we can get into how misleading the whole thing can be because it's laid out by by leading scores. But what was interesting was this idea that his front court featured on the in the Western Conference, obviously, um, Carmelo Anthony. And he said, you know, he put a little message underneath in his Facebook post. Sorry, Kawhi. And 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 so it was funny at first to see it. And I'm like, okay, one guy did that. And then I thought, wait a minute. This could catch on. Like I could see this this pitch for Carmelo, which a bunch of people decide to do, and then like you wouldn't make it as a reserve in the West. We we all understand, and and there's no way Carmelo should be an All Star. Right? It it's commendable the season that he's had, especially not playing for so long or having an impact for so long. But I started thinking like this could be the kind of thing where people would vote him into the All Star game. We haven't gotten results yet back. 
But now the idea that people would put a Carmelo Anthony's average at 16 points, I think his assist to turnover ratio is one to two, uh, 42% from the field. I mean, this isn't a guy that that is an all-star right yeah. now. Come on. But no, he's no, a serviceable on. starter, you know, in the West, right? That's that's being fair too. That's that's probably being a little optimistic or right, uh, right. But anyway. He's not gonna be an all-star, but he also should not be put in the way as like the commissioner spot like Dwayne Wade and Jerk were because I'm sure we're going to get that conversation also but the league was retiring Carmelo not the other way around so when the league retires you you don't get one of those commissioner spots and I don't I don't want to start handing out commissioner spots like they retire uniform numbers in Boston I'm not going to have it or they do tribute videos across the league stop it <laughs> or give away hall of fame spots like they've been doing so let's get into all-stars yeah right now and and i did look at some injury replacements thinking about bradley beal and pascal siakam if in fact they're not healthy by the all-star break and i know we're still about a month and a half out so i'm going to start in the east my starters right now would be kemba ben simmons Giannis, joel Embiid, and pascal siakam siakam's injured so who would replace him well that would be that's going to be dicey because there aren't a whole lot of forwards. It might be Jimmy Butler. It might be Demodis Sabonis, honestly, given the way that the Pacers are playing. So those are my starters right now. Kemba, Ben Simmons, Giannis, Embiid, Siakam. And then the guys that I have for on the reserve side, you get two guards, three front courts, and two wild cards. Okay. So I've got Tatum, Beal, but Beal's injured. So I'll give you my front court guys. So it's Tatum, Butler, and Bam would be my three front mm, court guys. Yeah. And then in the back in the back court, it would be Lowry and Beal. But if and but if Beal is hurt, then I would have Brogdon in. And then my wild cards would be Sabonis and Spencer Dinwiddie. And then if another guy is injured, it would be Trey Young. And and Trey should I think it's going to be a lock on a lot of lists, but yep. they've got six wins. I don't know. I don't know how big of a lock you can be if your team has just six wins. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think all your picks are are interesting, and I think the one name, of course, that stood out to me is that is that Trey Young one. And and look, you're right about the amount of wins, and so then you have to start saying, okay, how much of that not winning is his fault? You know, just just like the same way when a team has multiple all stars. How much of the winning is attributable to each guy? And the thing with Trey Young is, I think with the John Collins suspension, to me, that's what I factor in, and I give Trey Young credit. If he had more help, he's had Kevin Herter battled some injuries and didn't have the impact this year that we were, at least I was expecting him to have. So there was injury stuff with Kevin Herter, obviously an extremely young team, but the guy they were really depending on was John Collins, and all of a sudden you deal with a, a suspension for John Collins uh, that knocks him out. John Collins would probably be looking at an all-star nod himself if all of a sudden the Hawks had a great season. I could see him putting up the numbers like you talk about, the depth in the front court for the East, which would have potentially given him a spot. But I think Trey Young gets in. I mean, his numbers are certainly off the charts. What he's been able to do on a nightly basis has just been ridiculous. I mean, over 28 points and eight assists a game, uh, I think he's been outstanding. But I do think you're right that you know, you, you have to look at this on the whole. I The guy that I'm curious to see if he could end up with an all-star nut, well, two names to me 
that I'm curious in the backcourt for the East. Fred Van Vliet, because mm-hmm. of the season that the Raptors have had, I think it'll be interesting to see if he gets potential nod. And, I mean, you bring up Dinwiddie as, a, as another one, but Devontae Graham. And I would never have thought Devontae Graham would have a chance at, at an all-star spot. And I don't, I still don't think he he will be an all-star, but he's having one of the most prolific three-point shootings, shooting seasons we've seen in, in recent memory. Um, on pace at one point, I, I haven't checked the numbers as of late, but it was on pace at one point to have the second most prolific three-point shooting season since you know, the famous season by Steph Curry in which he went for 400 threes and his shooting percentage was through the roof. But Devontae Graham averaging almost 20 points a game and nearly eight assists a game. And again, you talk about the winning, and, and so that plays a role. But I think people thought the Hornets were even going to be worse than than they are. So I think that factors in, too. Uh, my big question in terms of the East in general, who are some guys that, Noah, you can look at right now from the East and say, I these will be locks? Regardless if you and I disagree, if anyone else disagrees, who is going to be locks for the Eastern Conference? Okay, so Kemba, Ben Simmons, Giannis Embiid, and Siakam. The starters, I think, those are my five starters, and they're locks. So Bradley Beal, also a lock. And Jimmy Butler is also a lock. So one guard, one forward, also a lock. I think Kyle Lowry is a lock. Mm -hmm. But other than that, like one of Brogdon or Sabonis, should be a lock, but I don't know how it's going to work in Boston then with Tatum and Jalen Brown. Yep. And I got to imagine, I would think that Trey Young is going to be a lock. I don't have him down as a lock, but I could see that. I could see that certainly leaning that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. It, it's the, the injuries as they've happened, plus the records of some of the players that are excelling in the East is what I think makes the Eastern Conference All-Star selection so interesting. It's the injuries plus the fact that players have had outstanding seasons on bad teams, and how do you factor those in? And, uh, you know, you look at the Spencer Dinwiddie explosion as of late yeah. compared to Kyrie Irving's injury, and I think that one adds some some drama as well. Um, I just Zach hope the Wim- fans don't vote in Kyrie for any sort of reason either. Yeah, yeah, we had an interesting Kyrie discussion with Coach Nick last week about him going through the tape and not finding a reason as to why he said he didn't find tangible evidence as the reason that Kyrie brought down the Celtics. And then you pointed out there is some tangible evidence. Yeah, there's there. plenty of it. Yeah, there's um, plenty of it. You want to get into the West? Yeah. So go ahead. Give me give me your West selections. Here. All right. So, I mean, the, the West starters are, are locks. Absolutely. And, you know, in the East, we're dealing with some injuries. In the West, we're not. It's Harden. Luca, LeBron, AD, and Kawhi. Nice and neat five. Same for you. Those are those are the five. Absolutely starting five. Okay. So my backcourt, the two guards for reserves. I have Donovan Mitchell and Damian Lillard. Yep. And then the front court guys, Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns. And then the two wild cards. I have three guys for the two wild cards. Booker. Yep. Jokic and Ingram. And I'm leaning towards Booker and Jokic. What about uh Andrew Wiggins? I can't do I can't I can't have two players from one team 
That's awful. That's fair. Can't do it. That's fair. So, and did you say Westbrook? I did not. So, so I think Donovan Mitchell and Damian Lillard are having much better seasons than Russell Westbrook. Analytically, I test all of it. Better seasons than Russ. So I, I don't think, Look, I mean, there there are guys that there's all there are always big names that aren't all stars, especially in backcourt Western Conference. And this year it's Russ. The interesting part of everything that you just discussed is that I'm now trying to look ahead, and I hadn't thought about this until you just mentioned the idea of leaving Russ off, which I think is fair. I'm not disagreeing with that point, but a thought just occurred to me. Fast forward now, after the All Stars have been announced. Russ doesn't get in, and let's say Spencer Dinwiddie does. First, I think we're going to hear, the first thing that we're going to hear is that, oh, we're going to have to change the way that we select All-Stars. This is ridiculous. It's lopsided. The Western Conference got ripped off. And just imagine if if Steph was healthy, what would we have done then? Like, that's that's what we're going to hear some. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the other part that I can imagine, how many people like which leads to another discussion we're about to have the inside the NBA guys and certainly NBA Twitter. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when people who haven't sat down and analyzed who got in? Cause it's always easy to say, how could this guy not get in? It's like, right. okay, well let me see your list. But, but when that doesn't happen, and of course there's no reasonable conversation on NBA Twitter, or oftentimes on inside the NBA, can't you just hear Charles Barkley? Oh, not selecting Russell Westbrook idiots. He's one of the best three players in the game. How do you not select Russell West? Right? That's the conversation that we're going to hear. Although I do think you bring up a great point that he's not deserving of an all-star nod, despite the fact that the assists and rebound numbers, just like they have over the last few seasons, are there once again. Yeah, and I and I thought this year was going once once Steph and Clay went out, and really once Clay went out, yep. my thought, my first thought was, oh, now finally Mike Conley is going to make the all-star team for the first for the first time in his career. <laughs> Well, I mean, he wasn't even playing well enough to be an all-star and now he's been hurt. So he's not an all-star. So he had like, this is the golden opportunity for Mike Conley to finally make an all-star team. Right. And you're not going to do it. All right. So what do you have in the West? Uh, Well, everything's the same. The only, the only difference that I have is the, is the Andrew Wiggins selection is the, is the only difference. So you're putting on, you're putting on Wiggins. Who are your, so you're putting on Wiggins over Booker and Ingram. No, uh, Wiggins over, over what I'd have to look at your list again, but it, mine almost seemed identical. And then I have Wiggins above Brandon Ingram, right? Okay. Now. Do you have Wiggins over Booker? I do not have Wiggins over Booker. Do you have Wiggins over Jokic? Uh, I think I would consider leaving Jokic off this year. Okay. So, so right now, so that there's the, that, which, which leads I, to I'd something. Be, I'm, I'm hung up with there. I'm, I'd be hung up there because. Because Jokic has not he's not had an MVP type season like he did last year, but the team's 22 and 9 with the best defense in basketball and not to have an all-star on that team would be something. Yeah, and you're absolutely listen, you're right. And I and and it's the kind of discussion I'd probably and this is how I get I I overanalyze everything. So before I would even fully submit my ballot and I have not filled one out yet, I'd probably actually reach out to a couple of people I trust you and in, in, included in that group and say, Hey, am I crazy here that I'm picking two Timberwolves 
Yeah, um, I mean, you can't, you can't not any nuggets. Take, you can't take. Yeah, you can't take two players on a Wolves team as we record this on on a Sunday night that has three wins at home. Can't do it. Cannot do it. And you may, during this podcast, have just convinced me. You may have just convinced me otherwise. I mean, I I think you almost have to go, right? Like, yeah, you have to take a nugget. So maybe, maybe I'm completely wrong in this. uh, I mean, I even consider Jamal Murray. Yeah, I I think I mean, folks, like, who would be the guy? But in the backcourt, that's that's just really tough. Unless he gets one of those wild card spots. Yeah, and and once again. I think you have to reward Devin Booker for, you know, the Suns even being close to a playoff spot. The fact that they're close. And then again, I mean, we say that and then I look and say, well, you know, Timberwolves and Suns essentially have the same record. So, you know, um, but it's not like you're saying you're making the push for Baines on the Suns also, which I've seen people, you know. They're trying to get a uh, grassroots campaign for for Baines to make the All Star team too as yeah, a second guy on the Suns. Enough. No, enough. no. When it's much, all said and done, when it's all said and done, is Devin Booker an All Star? I think Devin Booker will be an All Star. Yeah, I do think Devin Booker will be an All Star. But again, we're getting ahead of this conversation. It's not even New Year's yet as we record this All Star game mid February in Chicago. Coming up next. Why are we still taking what Charles Barkley says seriously? But first, and we do a lot of talking about physical fitness. I'm in peak physical condition. You're almost there. But there's another side to the game that's just as important, and that's mental fitness. Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation, and they've teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. So LeBron and Calm know that your mind is just like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so that you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. So for LeBron, sleep is as important part of his mental fitness routine as anything else. And he always says, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. So you can head over to calm.com slash locked on NBA. You'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. So with Calm, you have access to the nature scenes that LeBron loves. He likes the rain on leaves. It's not Kyle Kuzma Instagram posts. It's the nature scenes like rain and leaves. And there's so much more. Sleep stories, meditations, all sorts of things. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm, a 40% discount annual membership, calm.com slash MBA. You can unlock content, help you focus, ease stress, sleep better, Get started, com.com slash locked on NBA. That's com.com slash locked on NBA. So Charles Barkley says that no more of this seven foot three Kristaps Porzingis shooting threes nonsense. He's got to get into the post. So he said this on Inside the NBA and he was asked about it. Rick Carlisle, Mavericks head coach, was asked about it after the game the other night. And he went on a rant about how wrong that is what the analytics say. I'm split in the, well, should he never post up? Or should he always be shooting threes? Because I don't think, I think you can spin numbers any which way. If you can get a mismatch with KP in the post, then that should be an easier two and a more guaranteed two than 
the three-point shot, even if it's uncontested. So, yeah, I think there are different ways to look at it. But with Barkley, he and Shaq have the biggest platform in basketball. And they're the voices that, unfortunately, most people listen to. But Barkley's the same guy that said the Warriors would never win. Barkley's the same guy, Adam, that would admit that he wasn't even watching the games on Thursday night because scandal was on. <laughs> so, so why are we listening to Barkley and Shaq for that reason for anything but just pure entertainment? That's what I watch inside the NBA for. There are so many other places you can get more informed basketball opinions. Put on TNT to watch those guys call each other fat, make fun of each other, and watch Ernie Johnson try to reel them all in. Yeah. The way that that Barkley operates is is similar in a lot of ways to Stephen A. Smith. You're not there for the analysis. You're not there because you want him to break things down. And you almost want him to joke about analytics and a guy not being in the put. Like that's that's the fun of Barkley that that he's not watching. I mean, they who he play for is one of the great segments of all time because they're making fun of the idea that that Barkley's not there. The only time that I dig in and need to focus on Barkley's analysis is when it comes down to something involving the psychology of a superstar when he's discussing what it's like to be a superstar in the nba and how a guy handles a certain leadership situation or something else and not to say that i always agree with it but i understand he's been there done that and provides a unique perspective that i think a lot of people wouldn't offer to the conversation but even in that respect how like 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 barkley may not have survived this era being a superstar. It's it's funny that you bring that up because I I had a long discussion with, and I bring him up all the time because he's a friend and I spent time with him pre-draft, always go see his guys work out. But Don McClain, who played with Charles Barkley, and you may remember the famous line about when Don McClain had um had the uh performance enhancing drug suspension by the NBA and, and Barkley said of Don, you know, uh, Don McClain's not on steroids. I've seen Don McClain naked. So, <laughs> so Don and I spoke about Zion Williamson's impact in the NBA, and, and he, he said, you know, he reminds me a lot of Charles Barkley. That body that he has, a little bit overweight, extremely explosive. Now, Zion's not the same player, but he said it's that same kind of impact where he's around the hoop and he's so explosive and so strong and powerful. And he said that he just overwhelms guys. And he said, he reminds me a lot of Barkley. And I said, well, what about that? Okay, so he's Barkley. Like, what, what would Barkley be in this era? And he goes, I don't know that he'd be the same player because he couldn't get away with the same things that he, you know, there's going to be an impact that he's going to have. And so that was his concern with Zion. But the point is basically to point out what you're saying about, you know, Barkley is a superstar. I mean, he was so explosive. But should Barkley have learned to shoot threes from a, at a better rate? That may be possible. His handle is, is, you know, where they use him in more pick and roll situations. I, there's a whole bunch to look at. But I think the bigger point that you bring up from all this with Barkley and with inside the NBA is that you can't get into the weeds about the analysis. That's not, as you point out, that's not what it's there for. Mm -hmm. They're there to entertain and they do it 
in a way that's better than anybody else. And other people, certainly ESPN and their and their NBA crew, they've all tried, but no one can come up with the, the secret sauce, which is Charles Barkley and his entertainment factor. But when it comes to breaking things down, if you want to tell me that you've studied tape and you think that there could be more effectiveness from Chris Stapps Porzingis by putting him in the post and putting different situations. Maybe it's the mid post. Maybe he catches and faces up 10 feet from the hoop. There are different things you can break down. Maybe you point to the fact that Chris Stapps Porzingis from two point percentage this year, shooting under 45% from the field. You know, you want to tell me those things. You want to tell me that he shoots 40% overall and the guy should be one of the elite scorers in the league, especially playing with such a great passer and, um, in Luca and and then even Brunson when when Luca's been out playing with Jalen Brunson, I, all those things I can get behind, but that's not what Barkley says. Barkley says get him in the post. He he's he's over seven feet. We need to get right. him in the post. Right. And he's, right. who's he's not taking at, that seriously? Right. The only numbers he's looking at are feet and inches. His height. And and and, and again, it, game and points per game. Right. It's kind of interesting that before that you brought up that you listen to Barkley about you know mind of a superstar, etc. Have, have I told this story on the podcast before the from Bob Ford from the Philadelphia Inquirer who covered mm-hmm. Barkley back in the day. Barkley was, uh, Bob was the Sixers beat writer. He's been a longtime yep. sports columnist for the Inquirer. And we should get Bark. we should get Ford on to, to tell more Barkley stories. Should but get Barkley, Barkley too, but. Yeah, right. But Barkley one night, I think they were in New Jersey and it was just Bob and uh, the late Phil Jasner who was covering the Sixers for the Daily News at the time. Just those two in the locker room. And the Sixers had lost, and Barkley looked at both of them, and it was just the two of them, and he said, man, this is one of those nights you just want to go home and beat your wife. And Bob and Phil looked at each other and said, hey, Charles, we're going we're gonna to give you an, a moment to walk that back, and we won't, we won't print it. We'll give, you, we'll give you a second chance here. There are no TV cameras around. It's just the two print guys. And Barkley said, nah, print it. So they printed it. And there was a giant protest outside the spectrum the next night. So if that story happened now, can you imagine that? And, and, given, that, and given the chance to walk it back and said no, come on. I, I cannot imagine how that would come be. Come on. Come on. And, <clears throat> I, mean, I mean, so, so the story, I mean, a lot of the stories we hear about Barkley are, and, and Barkley was my favorite as a kid. Yeah. I've told this story before. I used to write him letters all the time, and Sixers would send back all sorts of stuff, birthday cards. Barkley was my favorite player as a kid. But my parents also taught me, yeah, you can like the way he plays, but not the way he conducts himself off the floor, like throwing a patron through a glass door. Okay. Or doing what he did here with making that comment about going home and beating your wife after a brutal game. And... So would Barkley have survived today's game? Well, he, he, cer- he certainly could not have acted the way that. That's what I was just about to say. He, did. he could not have survived the way that that he was at, at one time. There's no question. And we all have our lovable Barkley stories. Everyone, everyone who's oh, around yeah. the Philadelphia area and Philadelphia sports media, they love Barkley. I mean, I spent time. You, we, you and I both spent time at Comcast Sportsnet in Philly working in what was, you know, the, the first union center, the Wachovia center. And I remember, you know, everybody I work with on the production side that, that was doing TV stuff and the games, they would all talk about how Barkley would come in and, and they just loved him. He just oh, he, yeah. he gave everyone hugs and was the kindest person. Everyone's got a wonderful Barkley story. 
but it also is a lot of certainly now in his analysis is is you know do as i say not as i i did if you will and i'm talking about the idea that i find it fascinating that it's just so hard and what i think makes barkley brilliant not as just his comedic timing which is off the charts but also like i said when i talk about the psychology of a superstar what i'm referring to is this idea that it's so rare to get people that have been in his position to be candid and so maybe it's not he's going to be able to break it down or explain how he was. He's certainly not going to talk about how a player should be in this kind of shape or that kind of, I don't take everything he says seriously. Again, it's, it's with a grain of salt, but there is something to be said for a guy that had all the adulation, the fame success, uh, and was as brilliant as he was. And people forget just how great he was as a player. I think through all that, there's something to be said for a guy that then will come out and be critical of superstars or talk about how it's like in a locker room. And there's nuggets that you can pull from that and say, okay, we don't really get that from a lot of other guys. We've seen Kobe try to come out and be that honest. Maybe Larry Bird's had moments where he's done it. You just don't see it where a lot of other guys can explain what it's kind of like to be a Charles Barkley. All right, real quick on, on the Shaq side of things. Shaq always on his podcast, they always talk about how They've got the number one podcast, mm. <laughs> which which always confuses me because nothing that you know they they say all sorts of stuff on their podcast that never makes any headlines, right? And I don't understand. I don't understand how if you've got the number one podcast, it doesn't make any any headlines. When when Shaq when Shaq told the Stevie Wonder story about seeing him in the elevator, and Stevie said, "Hey, what's up, Shaq?" and and that story, he said it on TNT, and it got everywhere. Like, oh, Stevie Wonder's not really blind. I was like, Shaq told that on his podcast a month right, ago. Right, right. If you have the number one podcast, why wasn't that out there already? All right, coming up in Open Gym, what I'm pumped about this week on the NBA schedule, and as always, Adam, every week, the NBA draft prospect watch this week on your viewing schedule. That's next on Open Gym. All right, so there's a lot to be pumped about this week as the calendar turns from 2019 to 2020. Oh, and by the way, the Barbie situation in our house has gotten out of control. Barbie Dreamhouse, you created it. No big deal. And by the way, can I just point out that I made it? Yeah, I mean, I put, together, I put it together in 25 minutes. No big deal. But now there's like, it has become the, it's like become the Barbie dream brothel at this point. Like there are just, there are so <laughs> many Barbies. Naked Barbies there everywhere. There's so many. And then everywhere. And now there's there's five Chelsea dolls, which are the which are her sister. And now there's two Ken dolls. My wife wants to start playing The Bachelor with all the Barbies Ooh. and Ken. And and I and I told her I think that's an awful idea. Oh. Oh. It it is it is overrun this overrun this house. Yeah, I listen, I made a pottery barn kitchen for for my son for uh for Christmas morning. Uh, no big deal. Nice. Did that. Yeah. Could barely really? carry the box. It was that heavy. Yeah. Listen, I don't want to point it out because it's really, again, not a big deal. It probably took me a half hour. Watch the Wolf of Wall Street. Did you have to do hammer wife, and Crystal nails? Uh, no, it was, it was all, uh, you know, it was nuts, bolts, a lot of screwing, but uh, there was no, no hammering and uh, it looks beautiful. I got to say, I did, awesome. did, a, did a fine job. Listen again, no big deal. No big deal. No big deal. Just, it's just what we do. I followed it's your just lead. What we do. Just two regular Bob Vila's over here. I'm looking forward to Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. It's, it's an odd time start, 3 Eastern, Philly in Indiana. Right now, as we record this on Sunday night, neither the, the, 
Sixers Pacers are five six in the Eastern Conference. The Sixers would be on the road in the first round of the playoffs against the Toronto Raptors. On the road. And the Pacers in the sixth spot at 21 and 12. Um, so, so the way that the Sixers have not been closing out games, the Sixers are an awful fourth quarter team. Go look at the numbers. It'll tell you analytically and on the eye test. It's the same thing. You got to look at the fourth quarter. Sixers are an awful fourth quarter team. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the Sixers handle the Pacers on Tuesday, and then also Tuesday night, we've got Denver in Houston. And then later on in the week, I want to see Toronto in Miami, and that's on Thursday, January 2nd. The way this Miami team, Jimmy Butler should be an all-star. Bam Adebayo should be, should be an all-star. And Toronto, as Kyle Lowry said, after beating the Celtics, but to getting spanked on Christmas Day and then beating them the other night, he said, we got a lot of pros. And, that's, and when you have a culture... And they've developed it. When you have a culture, you can withstand injuries to a certain extent. And that's what they're doing. No, I got to ask you about the Sixers. Because now that I've been on the East Coast, been around some Sixer fans over the last couple of days, it, there's differing opinion about what's wrong with this Sixers team. So I'm curious from you. It's gone back and forth. The future of the Sixers, and maybe it's this season, maybe we look at the next five years. I, I heard an interesting point of view. My buddy Matt said to me, I feel like we have to win now because once it's Kyrie and Durant, it's over. They're going to take over the, the East and, 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 and any of the other parts that we've discussed, you know, on the Nets, certainly Spencer Dinwiddie's emergence and, and the other players that the, the Nets have. But he said it needs to be a win now mentality. But his concern was, but the concern my brother brought up to me, well, maybe Al Horford wasn't the right fit for this team. Maybe they don't have any dogs mm -hmm. that guard guys on the perimeters. My thing was, do you really need to guard any perimeter players in the East? Are you going to have to in this in this to make a deep playoff run? I don't know. And then there's, of course, the fourth quarter meltdowns the Sixers have had. So all that taken into account, you look at the Sixers, you say, what are their issues and what's going to determine whether this team gets to the finals and wins the finals this year and moving forward? Yeah, I mean, defensively, the team is, they're, they're lockdown defenders. And I, I've, I have no problem with this team defensively. I do think they miss that, the dog. I think they miss, even, you know, we said it before the season, I thought they were going to miss J.J. Redick more than Jimmy Butler. It's pretty close, but they certainly do miss J.J. Redick. The Al Missable. Horford fit, the Al Horford fit has not been there. Because Al Horford, when he's on the floor with Joel Embiid, it doesn't work. But the biggest question is, the Joel Embiid... Ben Simmons fit, and that's going to be the question every single night. And how those two, it's whether how they get along or is the team divided, it's Ben's team, it's Joel's team, their personalities together to lead a team, night to night just does not seem to mesh. So in, in two years, are they both in Philadelphia? I don't think so, but I don't want to be the one to trade one of them. I don't think anybody in the Sixers front office wants to be the one to trade one of them either. So we're going to be having the same conversation over and over again. And then it's certainly win now. This is, this is what they're playing for right now. And, and Brett Brown's job is very much on the line. But that's where we are right now at the Sixers. And Joel Embiid, do you really want to bank on his future when you consider the injuries? 
and you're so concerned about, is he going to stay on the floor for an extended period of time? I don't think the guy will ever play 82 games in one season. And it doesn't matter if he does, but is he going to be healthy for an entire season playoff run consistently? And then for Ben Simmons, of course, the shooting. I mean, so you have those two things that you have to worry about. And the other thing that I think is interesting is how about Joel Embiid? Just the idea that uh, we don't hear about him getting talked about as a guy that needs to get his butt in the post. But we know what he does when he does get in the post. I don't understand how Joel Embiid doesn't shoot 50 percent from the floor, but it's all based upon the fact that he shoots threes. So I we do hear we do we do hear a lot about that. He you know that's where he needs to dominate. And yeah, I just mean from of- I mean we hear it from Porzingis. This this controversy blew up with Porzingis, and they're, these guys aren't making a huge deal of it though. Every night on inside the NBA, they do bring. Yeah, it up, I mean, well, I mean, they but- they gave it to they gave it to Embiid, and then Embiid had that you know. Then he, as we discussed on the pod last week about, I thought it was a or two weeks ago, I thought it was a PR move by Embiid to just acknowledge it and recognize those guys. I thought that was I thought that was a PR move more than anything else. Yeah, so. Let's, uh, for what I'm pumped about, Noah, I'm going to say NBA draft. I talked about Colorado, Obi Toppin, and uh, Tyler Bay, their matchup, which which panned out, obviously. Dayton, Colorado turned out to be a great game. The matchup for people to watch this week, on January 2nd, Oregon is at Colorado. So front line of Oregon features a guy by the name of Infali Dante, who... Uh, really hasn't put up numbers yet or anything else, but is had a ton of hype coming into Oregon. They're still getting him into the rotation. He is a beast, and he's going to be going up against Tyler Bay in the front court. And then in the back court, Peyton Pritchard of Oregon, who is turning himself into a pro. He's starting to show up on second-round mock drafts, but it, he can defend his position. He manages the game well. He can certainly shoot the basketball, and he's a wonderful decision-maker. And he's a tough as hell kid. So for all those reasons, he's a guy to watch. And he's going to be going up against a guard named McKinley Wright, who's equally as tough for Colorado. McKinley Wright also hoping to be a future NBA player. So not talking about a first-round matchup in the backcourt, guys that could be second-rounders, McKinley Wright, Peyton Pritchard. But the front court, Dante, is somebody to keep your eye on. Could be two first-round picks in Dante and Tyler Bay. I saw Dante playing for Sunrise Christian in that Ooh. high school hoops tournament in Springfield, Missouri, and when they lost, I mean, he was, near, he was nearly in tears. The, 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 the commitment from that kid was impressive, and he hadn't been playing basketball for that long either. The commitment from that kid was impressive. That's, uh, Sunrise Christian is where um, Buddy Heald had gone, mm. had gone to school. That's, uh, that's who put them on the map. All right, so make sure you can go back and you can listen to all the other going ISO editions of Rejecting the Screen. That comes out every Thursday, the long-form edition. It's what we call in the business evergreen, so not time-sensitive. Go back, listen to Ryan Rosillo and Peter Vesey kill people and Howard Beck and Sam Mitchell and Richard Jefferson and so many others. So you can do that over your holidays as you're traveling around this Still, I guess, fine country of ours, whether you're on a train, plane, or automobile. And make sure you're checking out everything else that we have on the Locked On NBA channel, Locked On NBA, five days a week, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, Josh Lloyd and Hollinger and Duncan, John Hollinger, Nate Duncan, every Monday. You can follow Adam on Twitter at NaysmithLives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Adam, safe travels back west. I appreciate it. And you know, Noah... Uh, the podcast has caught such fire that at the local pizza place last week, 
my girl Trish actually said to me when I saw her, you're the best. Knowing that that's how I always end the podcast with you. So Noah, I will just end this week by saying thank you, Trish and Noah. You're the best.